right, we're in 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, the folks walking down the aisle will give you, some, give you one. They have them and stacks of them. 2 Kings is part of our anchored reading series. And um, there's, there's um, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and it deals with the life of David and Solomon. And then 1 and 2 Kings goes through the series of kings following uh, David's death and then the splitting of the kingdom, the north and the south. Um, some kings served the Lord, others didn't. Uh, and, and it ends with the, the lion's share of them didn't. And then Israel goes into exile later in this capacity. Ahab, who was one of the worst of the kings, he's passed away. And if you've been following the anchored reading series, uh, you, you get into 2 Kings chapter 1 and it begins... Uh, with this idea of Moab rebelling against Israel after the death of Ahab. So north and south kingdom split, and on the scene is a prophet. Uh, and this prophet is appointed by God, and his name is Elijah. And I don't know if you've ever seen Back to the Future, but he's like Doc from Back to the Future. He's like, hey! He's just intense, and, uh, uh, you know, he's he just crazy guy. He's like Jim from Taxi. That, hey, same guy. Hey! Um, and that's Elijah, but Elijah was intense. He, uh, he's the one who called down fire on the sacrifice on Mount Carmel after he had mocked the prophets of Baal as they were cutting themselves and crying out to uh, this God in Ekron of the Philistines, uh, Baal, Baalzebub, Lord of the Flies, which is actually uh, a term for Satan in the Bible, Beelzebub. And, and as they're crying out, uh, nothing's happening. As he turns to him and he says, I, I guess your God is in the bathroom. You know, that's the, it's, it's really, it's kind of cool. The Bible's fun to read. You should. Um, and then he, he comes up and he says, you know, cover the sacrifice in water. Just fill it with water. And they do. And then he prays and <laughs> it's consumed. So fire is part of what God uses in this man's life. It's not... It's not Elijah's ability. He, he didn't bring the fire. He just asked for it. Uh, and, and you think, well, that's intense. You have no idea how intense it's going to get right now. Uh, and this is, this is the, the latter part of Elijah's time on the earth. Uh, he's going to be taken up in a chariot of fire. He's one of two folks that didn't see death. And in this passage, um, it's, it's kind of one of the last things he does and then chapter 2, uh, which is also in the reading, and I want to talk to the young people now. Um, this is important because his, his understudy is a guy by the name of Elisha. And Elisha isn't like Elijah, who's Jim from Taxi. Uh, Elisha's, they call him the mother man of Israel. He's really tender. He loves people. He has a school of the prophets. He spends time with them. He's very understanding. He likes to talk. Elijah's like, you're an idiot. That's the difference between the two. And Elisha's like, you have a little bit of a learning problem. Maybe we can work with you. He's just real sweet, you know, patient. But, but Elisha also, maybe his, his personality, his demeanor is different. But you'll see him at the end of his life get a little uptight. Um, but as he's following Elijah, he sees this man who's making a profound difference and contending with the evil that has consumed the land. And as you see in this passage... Elisha's going to witness this, and he's not going to be scared. It's, 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 he's actually going to follow Elijah to the point where Elijah turns around and goes, what are you doing? What are you following me for? You're bugging me, kid. I'm, that's not in the text, but I see it there. And he says, why are you following me? 
And Elisha says, uh, I want a double portion, which is a way of saying, I, I want to be twice the man as you. It's oftentimes we see our heroes in life and we go, man, I wish I could be half the man as him. Or what ladies said, I wish I could be half the woman as her. Elisha looks at Elijah and goes, you're amazing. And I want to be twice as amazing as you. I, I think the young people in the room have that ability because um, I just finished going to Washington, D.C. I was with Sean Foyt. Um, then we went to Chattanooga, Tennessee, spoke there. Then we went to Nashville. Then we went to Franklin. Then we went to Phoenix. Then I went to San Diego. And now I'm back. And, and then I'm going to leave here and go back to Phoenix. And I go to Indianapolis. And we do just a lot of work going on around the country. And, and, and pressing in to minister. And I'm thinking to myself at 58 years of age, as, as I go places, I'm introduced as the pastor that contended with the governor. And I, and I tell him, I go, I didn't sign up to be the poster child of rebellion. I'm 58 and I'm getting exhausted. I hate flying. I, I, hate, I hate being away from my home. I hate being separated from my wife. I hate it. I, I, don't, I don't enjoy any of it. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sad that I don't know everybody's name. I, I love having dinner with couples and family. I haven't had a chance to even have dinner with Michelle. I'd love to have dinner with me, Michelle, and you guys. Not all together, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't like this, the, the barrenness of a busy life. But I'll tell you why I'm doing it. I, at 58, I'm preparing for having that drink with the umbrella on a beach somewhere. You guys are going, what, what does he drink? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> Do you really want to know? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and yet, I'll tell you why I'm doing it. In, in the almost 250 years, been 245, in the almost 250 years of American history, in the 6,000 years of recorded history, no nation has been, has been more blessed than the United States of America when it comes to freedom. You've heard me say this. You, you fly in an airplane, invented by an American. You ride in an elevator, invented by an American. You enjoy air conditioning, invented by an American. You enjoy light bulb, invented by an American. Enjoy the internet, invented by an American, not Al Gore. You've heard me say all that. <laughs> We've had more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more patents, more more everything than any other nation in the history of the world. Plus, we've been the most generous nation in the history of the world. Over 80 cents in every dollar in evangelism comes from the United States of America. When there's trouble around the world, they, they look to America for help. If somebody's abducted on the sea lanes of, of, of the earth, they call on the United States Navy for help. And yet, as we process through this and we think about America, which is now under trials, the first time in American history, and we're, we're the only nation that's given up its blood and its treasure and has asked for nothing in return. As we've stopped fascism in two nations, both Germany and Japan, didn't, we weren't occupiers, we were liberators, and we left and only asked for enough ground to bury our dead. No nation gives up its blood and its treasure for another nation, except for America in that capacity. And now, the first time in American history, the elderly, haven't served the young. A nation grows great who plant, uh, whose nation plants trees of the shade they'll never know. Meaning, we prepare for generations to come. But we took a virus that had a 99.7% survival rate and for children had a 0.00002% chance of death. Severe comorbidities of the only children that died. And we allowed them to shutter their schools because we were afraid that grandma's life expectancy would be reduced. The elderly 
took away their lives. The drug abuse and the depression of that generation that we have neglected is on us. This is the first time in American history. Now, granted, we fail, but the Bible says, forget what's behind. Strive for what is ahead. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. It's time to serve this generation. It's, it's a future for them and for young people. And now, look, we made a mistake, but we get to fix it. And that's, that's why uh, uh, Elijah, he may have made some mistakes, but this guy had conviction, and especially in the latter years of his life. And Elisha sees that just like I hope the young people do. I'm not going to quit, and I'm not going to give up on you. And, and I, I tell you, I don't know why God called me at this at 58, because I would have liked it at 30, but parts are falling off and I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> but every time I see a young person get inspired, I'm ready to roll. And I want that for everyone in here that has wisdom. And when I say wisdom, I mean, that's gray hair. Some of you have gray hair and no wisdom, but you got to work on that. <laughs> it's time to serve the generations that are coming and to do what's necessary. And you're, you're afraid of something. Well, the difference between morality and character is this. Morality is not doing what's wrong. Character is doing what's right. You've heard me say this, that, that your child comes home from school and says, Mommy, Daddy, all the kids in the school called Susie fat, but I didn't. And you say, well, that's the, that's the moral thing to do, child. But where's your character? Your child says, what do you mean? Why didn't you tell the other children to stop it? Well, they would have all laughed at me. That doesn't matter. Victory is not determined by the outcome, but by the obedience. Do what's right. And, and children will do that when they can see that in the lives of their parents. That they're courageous and they stand firm in the face of evil. And, and I think for us, all that's necessary for evil to prosper is for good men and women to do nothing. Moral. Well, not doing what's wrong, but not doing anything. And um, we've used our eschatology, our study of the end times to justify our apathy and our inactivity. And I, and I, I, I can tell you right now, God's not finished with America. Yeah. He's not. It's time to, yeah, amen. God bless you. Now, I, I get pushed back in Christendom and also in the secular world for stating that. In Christendom, they, they say that I'm standing in opposition to the will of God. Because he is, he, he is judging America. Well, maybe he is, but you're not the arbiter of knowing when he's coming back. Um, and, and you say, well, all the signs speak to it. Well, great, but we don't know the day or the hour. And I quote to them Jeremiah 18, and they don't know what to do with that one. Look, I want him to return right now. I want actually, I didn't even want to do second service. I was hoping. Okay. <laughs> But, but, but if he does come, he's going to find me working. And, it, and I'll be like, wait, I was just, hey. That's how I want it to be. And it should be for all of us because we're working diligently for the generations to come so that the Elishas of the world can see the Elijahs and say, I want to be twice the man or twice the woman as them. Nah. So as you become accustomed, that's a very long introduction. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Maybe you haven't become accustomed. Welcome to God speak. <laughs> Second Kings chapter one, I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. And so he sent messengers and said to them, 
Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there's no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And Elijah departed. God said, go give him the prognosis because he decided to go to a pagan god instead of calling as the king on the god of the universe who holds the heavens in the span of his hand and keeps your lungs moving, your heart beating, the one who, who has created everything. You're breathing his air, living on his dirt, drinking his water, eating his food, and you live by his rules. And yet you have inquired of, of, of the Lord of the flies, Satan himself, asking him as though he has some ability over your life. And he says, well, the prognosis is in. You go tell him, Elijah, you're going to die. That's heavy. Now the messengers returned to him and said to them, why have you come back? And they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baals above the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall come up, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And uh, 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 the, the king's probably bummed by that. <laughs> then he said to them, what kind of a man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? And so they answered and said to him, it was Jim from Taxi. It was, <laughs> it was a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And immediately he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to Elijah and there he was sitting on top of a hill and he spoke to him. Man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of the 50, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Oh, what kind of a God is this? You'll see. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And then he sent him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. You'll do as you're told and like it, and if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you, now come. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And woof, fire came down from heaven and consumed his 50. Again, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men, and the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah. <laughs> And pleaded with him, saying to him, man of God, please. Everyone say please. please. It's a good word to know when you're talking to the Lord. <laughs> please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains and all their guys. And my life's precious in your sight. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose, went down with him to the king and said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal's above the God of Ekron, is it because there's no God in Israel to inquire of his word and therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die again, prognosis. 
So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken, and because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, almost finished. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Now, I'm entitled this message uh, based on verse 14, uh, no, excuse me, verse 13, when the uh, captain of the 50 said, please, I'm calling this message the power of saying please. So, Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word, and I, I pray, Lord, that folks would see that, yes, you are a merciful, loving, gracious, and, and long-suffering, but, Lord, you are also not to be trivialized, taken lightly. And so, God, please, I, I pray that you would awaken us and I pray that you'd minister to our hearts, that there's a generation that's behind us that desperately needs our efforts and that we would contend for their future. They're precious. I pray for these young ones. Help us, Lord, to be courageous on their behalf and to do the things that are necessary for a future that would be abundant for their lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please have a seat. In this uh, passage, I called the power of saying please because of verse 13, as you recall. This third captain of the 50, when he saw the first two captains and the 100 guys get burned up, he, he comes, he says, please. And, you know, God is gracious and merciful and wanting that none would perish, but that all would be saved. He is, but some things we forget. He is also a God that doesn't tolerate evil and is a God of absolutes, as our founders called it, the laws of nature and nature's God, the law of gravity. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or you don't believe it. You're bound by it. You're bound by the second law of thermodynamics from... From order comes chaos and reduces to its least common denominator. We're bound by these laws. We're bound by these laws. And, and to understand this is to understand the two great laws of the universe. There's a God and you're not him. And, and oftentimes we say, well, I don't like that you said him. Well, then, then find a scripture that you can, you can validate that is as significant, significant as the 66 books of the canon of scripture that have more cross-referencing and, and, and can be uh, of works of, uh, of, of historical works, nothing is remotely close to the Bible. What they, found, what they found in the Dead Sea, in the cave, is, is unbelievable when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they are almost exactly the same as the, the, the Old Testament we hold now, 99.36% accuracy. And they're, they're thousands of years old. What you hold in your hand is accurate, and it's true. And there are absolutes, and we're governed by the laws of nature and nature's God. God speaks of this, and you can say, I don't believe in absolutes. I, I, I crack up at that every time I hear someone say that. I go, do you believe that absolutely? You get the stupidity of it. And they're like, yes, wait, no, wait, I don't know. <laughs> and we're sowing confusion in the life of children. And we, we don't want absolutes because we don't want to be told we're wrong. I don't like that either. We all love, we all hate speed limit signs when we get pulled over. We're also grateful that there's not a lot of accidents and we're all traveling together and there's rules of the road. 
we're governed by laws. You say you can't legislate morality. Whoever said that is an idiot. Every law is based on someone's values. But the law is the wise restraints that make men free, which is invoking a plaque in the stairwell of the law school of Harvard that's been invoked since 1911. In every graduation speech, the law is the wise restraints that make men free. From the moral law comes civil law. And if you don't have the moral law, which is the absolutes of God, first five commandments, our relationship with him, second five commandments, our relationship to each other, that's the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. If that moral law is removed, then laws are based on whatever the person in power decides it to be. And so the law will no longer be the wise restraints that make you free, applying restraints towards evil in order to pursue excellence. The law then becomes a weapon to enslave you, that those who are the elites will then use you as a saddle to ride themselves to wherever they want to go. And that's why in 6,000 years of recorded history, a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal will not perish from the face of the earth, but have a new birth of freedom. In our lifetime, if we, as it says in the Bible, if those who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And the wicked way is just simply the apathy and your unwillingness to contend for the next generation. Because we have first world problems. I think about that. You go to any nation in Africa and they have no problem defining what a man and a woman is. Because they're, they're, they're living as families trying to figure out how to feed their families. But we get here and we don't have any problems so we have to make them up. Now, I don't know how many genders we've achieved at this point, but it's, it's getting to a point where if you don't use the right pronouns and the insanity has reached to the school board level. That was an interesting week, by the way, in relation to that. But God had mercy on that captain who said, please. But he told the king, you're going to die. You see, God placed judgment on the king because the king was in authority and the king didn't repent. All the king had to do was say, you know, I was wrong. That's hard for people to say. You know, and that's so powerful in a marriage. Will you forgive me? I was... <laughs> I was wrong. This is another one's hard for pride. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Reconciling to one another. It's powerful. And when we're honest with God, he's merciful with us. You can see the contrast between a man who says please and another one who doesn't even acknowledge that he had been worshiping at the altar of paganism and tried to intimidate a prophet of the king. It's what's called an imprecatory action, imprecatory judgment. Boom. You're going to die from that. It's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. You see, if we're honest with God while our heart is still beating, he will be merciful with us. But if we sing, and he say, well, you know, everyone's going to heaven. It, I, 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 listen, I'd like to change the rules too. I'd like to make it available to everyone. But unfortunately, hell like heaven has gates and requirements. And, and no one spoke of hell more than Jesus, by the way. Because he didn't want anyone to go there. 
And so he built a big battleship in front of the gates of hell. And for us to get there, you have to step over that cross of Christ and say, uh, and, and sing the theme song of hell. I did it my way. <laughs> and what is hell? Well, heaven is being in the presence of God. Hell is the opposite. I'm going to party with my friends. No, you aren't. I wouldn't wish hell on my worst enemies. Jesus would want that none would perish, but all would be saved. He is appealing to you. And, and that's where humility comes. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord to lift you up. But if you defy him and you lead others astray in your defiance and you want to shake your fist at the God of the universe who holds the heavens in the span of his hand, you realize you're a gnat on the butt of an elephant. <laughs> and you don't like to see God that way. I get it. And he goes, he just torched a hundred people, hundred and two. What kind of a God would do this? My question is, a God of justice and truth, looking out at a sea of humanity that was created in his image, who have rebelled completely and, 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 and removed his commandments from the edifices of their buildings and have gone their own way, and have redefined what he has created in man and woman and have desecrated babies within the womb of their mother and all these things that are just ha happening. My question is, why would God let anyone live? Why, why would he leave the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross to die in our place to cover those sins to reconcile us back to him? That's a better question. To me, because I deserve it. Oh. <laughs> Look, you're special, but that's really weird. I don't want to get what I deserve. Do you? Yeah, we, be careful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And, and an imprecatory psalm is a, 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 a music. Songs, that's what psalm means. Songs that, you know, there's, there's six types of psalms. Some are lamentations and and, and you have worshipful psalms. This an imprecatory psalm, these are, there's not many of them, but Psalm 69 is one of them. And, and, uh, and that's what happened to the king. It was an imprecatory psalm. Judgment fell on him. And that's the power of an imprecatory psalm. Some of you are going, what's imprecatory mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> imprecatory means that which calls down a curse or invokes judgment so the imprecatory psalms are prayers that, God, that call for God's judgment on one's enemies. For instance, Psalm 69, verses 27 28 states, Add iniquity to their iniquity, and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. You're like, who would dare do that? That was the Psalm of David. You go, that's awful. Well, let's remember that Jesus quoted from Psalm 69 in John 15, 23. 25. Peter quoted from it in Acts 1.20, and Paul used it in Romans 11, 9 through 10. So, um, yeah. And I want to share this with you. This is an interesting one. We can and should pray for the wicked. Amen? And we pray that they would repent. Repent means to change. It's 180 degrees. This is where you're going. Now this is where you're going. You turn and face the Lord and own your stuff. And then he's merciful. 
we should and we can pray for the wicked to repent. However, when they persist in their wicked ways, our only recourse is to call upon God's promise that his judgment should be full and fair. Let God be true and every man a liar. The imprecatory psalm can be used as examples of how to pray for God's justice in our world. Praying in humility with an awareness of our own sin for the purpose of God's glory rather than our own revenge and trusting his decision to exercise judgment or mercy at the appropriate time is praying in a way that aligns with biblical teaching as seen in the imprecatory psalms. So you, you can and should pray these, but your life better be right. Because to the level you judge, you will be judged. And if you want an awakening revival, it's like judgment day. We, it, we, revival begins when you draw a circle around you. Get your life right. Now, when I talk about a hope for America, I, I, I get attacked by those who hate America and by Christians who think God has done with America. Funky. I had a little dialogue with someone whose name was Got Dialogue. <laughs> he said, do you not see these days are as those of Noah? Your congregation, individual people, should be repenting and humbly crying out to God and getting into the ark, not trying to turn a nation under judgment that is being brought down. America had its chance to repent. Again, you will be held accounting, uh, to account for misleading your sheep. That is for you to decide, I pray you turn from this evil. <laughs> Such a sweetheart. <laughs> just, mm, it's very pleasant. Would you like to go to dinner? No, I'm just kidding. I responded with Jeremiah 18. God said, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up or to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. There's always a choice. God judges us individually, judges nations corporately. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, that's out of Second Chronicles. Then I will hear from heaven, heal their land. There's always a chance. God's not done with America, no matter what Mr. Dialogue says. <laughs> and he had something to say. The nation is falling. If you know the Bible, you know that. Just a friendly reminder, the nation is falling. It's under judgment. There will be no stopping God's judgment. You should get this truth to your congregation ASAP. Or God will judge you as well. That's how I hear it when I read it. So I responded to Mr. Got Dialogue. I said, I posted scripture and you posted opinion and judgment. You call my actions evil and your opinion and judgment have no sway over me. I too pray for you as you pray for me in addition uh, in addition, you speak of the congregation I pastor, and you know nothing of them. Revealed by your words, two times more people have been baptized in the last 18 months as the attendance of the church was 18 months ago. Repentance and revival are prevalent at God speak. Yeah. <clears throat> and you wonder, and, and then this one, I didn't even know because I never read this paper. Someone sent it to me. Don't do that anymore. 
And I opened it up and I'm like, what? And I had to read it. And by the way, I, I don't do Twitter. I have a Twitter account. Someone else does it for me. But when this went down and the superintendent responded, like, I have 56 followers. I'm a nobody. You've heard of the book of who's who? I'm in the book of who's he. <laughs> the superintendent of schools decided to jump in on this tweet that was done by Kyle Jory that I apologized for, for missing, for, for, for my mistaking, instead of saying eighth graders, seventh graders type of thing, I said eight-year-olds. And I knew I'd made the mistake, but first of all, I'm coming off of MOAC, Mother of All Colds. I'm on a one-hour program I've never been on. I'm nervous as all get out. And I said something wrong, and they caught it. Good. That's good reporting. And I acknowledged that. I said thank you to Kyle. And I responded to his tweet. That's it. And then the superintendent chimed in. How pleasant. And I've said before that the acorn is, they don't report the news, they make it. So Kyle Jory, you know, does this tweet, I apologize to him, and then this all starts, and the superintendent jumps in, so he writes a story on it. And it wasn't one of his reporters, it was Kyle Jory. He wrote the article, and he said, appearing on a national conservative talk show, October 18th, former Thousand Oak City Council, man Rob McCoy was asked the question, can California be saved? I just read to you Jeremiah 18. You know my heart on that. To which the pastor referred the Bible to the Bible. I always refer to Jeremiah where he goes to the potter's house and if God intends evil for a nation and they repent, he'll relent from the judgment he intends. Largely behind the scenes when it comes to local politics since he stepped down from the city council April 2020 in protest over COVID-19 restrictions against the church McCoy made apparent in his hour-long appearance on Flashpoint, his interest in the Conejo Valley School Board elections which this year featured three candidates. McCoy is endorsing Joelle Mancuso, Sophia de Domenico, and Karen Meyer. Joelle, I'm, you're here. Have I, have I publicly stated that I'm endorsing you? No, I haven't. But I, I guess I am now, and I'm happy to do it. Um, and, and I got a, I got a text about Sophia and Karen. I, I'm seriously, I'm, I've been remiss. Have I donated to your campaign? No, I haven't. I should, but I haven't. Um, but, but the people I have donated to, people that I don't support, I, I do. I did, but it's, it doesn't matter. Win or lose, you lose. Um, um, and so th th this, this happens, and they state this. And so, uh, let me see. I'm sorry, I lost my, oh, whom... Uh, Oh, and, I, and, and then it says, the women hope to replace incumbents Bill Gorbach, Cindy Goldberg, and defeat challenger Lisa Powell, whom McCoy has deemed too progressive. Didn't know who Lisa Powell was, but okay. We're focused, uh, we're focused where most of the secular progressives have focused, which is the school boards, he said on the October 18th program. And we're in a battle right here in the Conejo Valley Unified School District. Speaking three days after the Ventura County Sheriff's Office arrested a man on suspicion of making a death threat against the CVUSD superintendent, Mark McLaughlin, McCoy suggests the threat, um, the threat piece of, oh, I'm sorry, I got the wrong one. McCoy suggested the threat against the administrator was implied. Yeah, I didn't know the full details and what I was given stated that. I'd never even heard what the death threat was. And by the way, um, the stuff they've written about us and the death threats I've received 
And we talked about the uh, graffiti that they had at Maple Elementary. Do you realize that we've had Antifa spray paint our building multiple times and the sheriffs have come out in relation to it? We don't report that in the news. They use this so that they can have some sort of empathy. Now, look, I don't promote violence in any way, shape, or form. And knowing that this was a death threat, I, I renounce that. I don't want any violence. That's, that's why we use words here. And this is why we're contending for this. And yet, I, I in no way want any harm to come to the superintendent of schools. The caller said in the message, we'll put a bullet through your expletive skull. That's a terrible, terrible statement. I wasn't aware of it. No one gave me the report. I didn't have it. There was a death threat implied, phoned into the superintendent of schools. There, uh, there was a death threat implied, phoned into the superintendent of schools from somebody in Santa Barbara, not here, not in God speak. Some wacko, and they want to blame us for that because we posted a video of the superintendent of schools stating that catching a boy, um, there's a young one here, doing something, you've already heard about it, a class of eight-year-olds, it was awful saying that normal behavior, we posted that, and this, was, and this is what we're facing. We've got the alphabet mafia coming after us. We're fighting it, and it's worth fighting for, McCoy added in reference to the LGBTQ activists. The video McCoy reference was posted earlier this month by VC Defense, a Thousand Oaks gun shop uh, who's, uh, owner who is a follower of McCoy's. The 142nd video was edited to appear as if the superintendent responded to a mother talking about her seventh grade daughter seeing a boy, it starts with an M, uh, in class by uh, saying, I don't think that this is anything outside the norm. Uh, M starts, word, word starts with M uh, and it rhymes with um, when you get a, go fishing and you, you're baiting a hook. It's, it's not, I think you got that there, try to work that out. Uh, and the superintendent said, that, I don't think that's outside the norm. The superintendent's full comments were, okay, this is the, the issue. The superintendent's full comments were, as someone who's been an elementary and middle school principal, I would say that at least once a year, this comes up for both male and females within a school setting. And so I don't think this is anything outside the norm. I'm sorry, is that any better? And first of all, we've already done this polling of the number of people who are public school teachers, and I asked them this, and none of it, never. But apparently, the superintendent has some sort of data that nobody else is privy to. Um, oh, and I'm, I, the question begs to be asked, does the ACORN receive any funding from the Conejo Valley Unified School District? Yeah, okay, there we go. Uh, there, so where we're, I'm almost done. Let me just um, conclude with this. It was the tweets that went back and forth. Um, and this is the fun part, and then I'll be finished with it. Yeah. The superintendent's full comments were, and then after the acorn shared the clip on Twitter, McCoy responded and apologized for mixing up the age of the students in question while on the talk show. My mistake, my apologies, I had read another recent and horrific story of an eight-year-old that was sexually assaulted by someone from their school. My own grandson is eight, and this resonated deeply, and in the moment recalled the wrong information. He tweeted along with a link to the story of the Kansas City area. McLaughlin responded uh, to that tweet with a link to a story out of Alabama about a pastor accused of um, 
yeah, the R word is four letters and the S abuse. Um, for 10 years, I have avoided our paths. He's writing this. He says, for 10 years, I've avoided our paths from crossing, speaking to me. But here we are, the superintendent wrote to McCoy. I will not apologize for bringing attention to and combating the sex crimes committed by adult pastors towards children at any age, either, especially my own county. All right, thank you. Uh, McLaughlin told the acorn he decided to respond because he was fed up. People might say, I'm being unprofessional, but I don't care. I've had enough, he said over the phone. McCoy responded to the chief of schools on Twitter a short while later, writing, nice that in our first crossing of the paths, it can be on something we can firmly agree on. To be clear, I focus a lot of intention and energy on educators and those working in and for the school system because they work very directly with and for children. And what they left out, Kyle Jory kindly left out deliberately, is that I stand with you. I reposted his statement and I said, I will stand in defense of anyone. You know, I, I, will, I will go after anyone who abuses our children, even if they're pastors. So um, he didn't add that. Interesting. McLaughlin came back with a question. Why is your effort to try and criminalize CVUSD for following the law? We did not write the law in 2016 and didn't update our curriculum until 2021, he tweeted. The reason CVUSD and San Diego and Santa Barbara School Unified School District adopted Teen Talk was in alignment to the law, plus there is an opt-out process. Just wondering, and as of Wednesday's uh, deadline, McCoy had not responded. Because I um, just am not interested in Twitter, and I already stated my stuff, and he'll, he'll go on forever. But I did write a response. I just decided not to post it. And some of you are bored, but that's okay. Hang in there. It gets fun. It'll tie into the text. You'll see why. Here was my response to his question to me. Superintendent of schools, I said, a couple of things. Criminalize, question mark. I have not sought to do any such thing. I do believe that anyone who serves our school board and city will willingly, uh, and city willingly takes on the responsibility for what is tolerated and allowed as acceptable as a county and city under their leadership. I fundamentally disagree with the law on a federal level. I understand that you and I also fundamentally disagree on much. I get it. However, to say the reason teen talk has been implemented because you are simply following the law, implying you have no other options, seems disingenuous. You sit on the school board fully aware the teen talk curriculum is one of the most explicit of several options. You have allowed it. That is my frustration. My personal effort is an appeal to you and other members to understand this. Childhood and adolescence is short and precious. Kids should be learning math, science, studying stories of bravery and kindness. Explicit sexual material has no place in schools. It just doesn't. Let kids be kids. I didn't post that on Twitter, and I didn't give it to the acorn because I figured... Um, everyone tuning in, the acorn and Twitter gets far more followers. I have 56 followers on Twitter. This is way better. So Kyle, I hope you're watching. Um, and, and one last thing, one last thing. Quote for you from Abraham Lincoln. No law can give me the right to do what is wrong. All right, and then uh, we, we get back to the text. Some have blamed the prophet for destroying these 102 men, 
by bringing down fire from heaven upon them. But they do not consider that it was no more possible for Elijah to bring down fire from heaven than for them to do it. God alone could send the fire, and as he is just and good, he would not have destroyed these men had there been a sufficient cause to justify the act. For the superintendent of schools to say, I'm following the law. Do you realize hormone blockers aren't permitted on sexual um, child molesters in prison and rapists in prison because they're, they're considered inhumane? And yet in California, our legislator is, legislation is, legislators are putting down a law, allowing those to be in, uh, um, administered to your children without your authority. We, we have Jackie Irwin saying for those in transgender, when we're watching biological males break all the female records and no one can define what a woman is, we're watching Jackie Irwin, an elected official, state, well, we need to start giving, to them, giving them hormone blockers at a younger age. Do you realize how barbaric that is? How experimental that our children would be, would be faced with that because of some sort of social experiment? And you say, I have to do it because it's the law. Have you ever read about the Nuremberg trials? Yeah. <laughs> Article 3, war crimes, defined as violations of the internationally agreed upon rules for waging war and crimes against humanity, namely murder, extermination, enslavement, deportation, other inhumane acts committed against any civilian population before or during the war or persecution on political, racial, or religious grounds and execution of or in connection with any crime within the jurisdiction of the tribunal, whether or not in violation of domestic law of the country where perpetrated. The judges at Nuremberg maintain that it would have been impossible for members of the Einstein not to know that murdering civilians was both illegal and immoral. And they just kept saying... We are following, we were following orders. That was their defense. And uh, the, the trial started October of 1946. They held 12 other trials at Nuremberg, 26 top military leaders, 56 high-ranking SS officials, 24 leaders of the Einstein Gruppen, which is the mobile killing units, 